Well, good morning, everyone. I, too, want to welcome you to Olive Branch. I'm glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 uh, this morning. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell you my purpose in this message today. Um, I have hoped and I've prayed that God would pour out his spirit on us as his church so that we could find uh, the, the courage and strength to not only gather as the church, but to push deeper into what it means to be the church. So I'm, we're hoping to find the courage to gather and to push deeper into what it means to be the body of Christ. And you might be thinking, well, hey, I'm already here this morning. I've got the first part of this down. Uh, but don't check out uh, just yet, because there is something that uh, I think all of us need to hear this morning as we gather as the church. So I'm not sure if you have noticed this. Uh, you probably have in the past uh, several years. But the Church of America has really become uh, progressively more isolated and me-centric in its approach. And I would say that individualistic Christianity has absolutely uh, wrecked the church in some degree. So my fear is that the more we allow things like, like uh, COVID, technology, politics, you name it, to influence the way that we operate as the body of Christ, the future of Christianity may consist predominantly of of generations of nominal, self-obsessed, self-righteous people that gather in the name of the church if they choose to gather at all. And so uh, I shared with you a few weeks ago when I preached uh, that some of the news that's coming out of, of the Middle East is just, just heartbreaking. And it's just, you know, some of these images of just this desperate, desperation, these, these uh, people going through these horrible things. Um, there are Christians there that are fighting for their lives every single day. There are Christians that are being caught by these forces that are facing worse persecution than you or I could possibly imagine. Uh, men and women are being trafficked, killed, tortured, you name it. Church leaders are being targeted, and they have the option to either recant and live, flee and stay alive, or to stay and die for their faith. And there is a very large number that see the escalating situation and believe that the most important thing that they can do is to gather as the people of God. And if martyrdom comes, it comes. See, I think that is important because, uh, like, like Wayne was saying, this is a new ministry year starting this week, and I always thought that, uh, for me as a kid, uh, January 1st didn't spark the new year. The new year came on whatever day the school year was unfortunate enough to come on. I mean, kids, when school comes, yay, <laughs> fun times. Uh, that's just how it felt. So as we're starting this new ministry year, and as we're starting uh, the new school year, it's important to emphasize just how greatly Christ in the church is needed Today, So even though it seems like this pandemic is just ramping up again, and I, and I kind of optimistically say we only got like 20 Greek letters left till we're out of all of them, um, we cannot allow this virus to exercise sovereignty over the body of Christ, or if we're going to continue to faithfully serve Christ and gather as the people of God. See, I do not believe that it is time for the work of the church to slow down. I don't believe that it's time for the church to set uh, discipleship and fellowship aside, I believe that it is important for us now, maybe more than ever, to continue to minister to one another and to reach into the far corners of the globe with the gospel. So I understand that for some, this message might ruffle feathers, and uh, I don't want them to unless they're feathers that need to be ruffled. Uh, I'm going to a, a pastor's seminar the next couple days, so if there's any phone calls, Wayne will be here. <laughs> I planned it strategically. And also, I tell myself, if you're in youth ministry, they'll just put it all down as teen angst or something. So that works out pretty well for me. Um, I'm not going to belittle 
the impact of this virus, and I'm not going to say that one's physical health is not important. I would never say that. But what I want to do is to remind us as the people of God of the importance and the necessity that we have to serve the Lord and to minister to each other. And this is what we're going to see in the book of Hebrews this morning. We're going to see that because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, we can have a great deal of confidence to enter into the presence of God and to gather as his people. And uh, we will hold fast to the commands that the Lord has given to us. And that includes the command for us to gather as the people of God and to minister to one another. And we can all look ahead to the great day when the Lord will return. So there's three things that we as Christians have that we're going to dwell on this morning. That's our confidence, our responsibility, and our hope. So I'm going to go ahead and we're going to read these uh, verses together, click or willing. There we go. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So before we get to our responsibility as the church, I want us to look at our confidence to be the church. Some of us might look at the responsibility that comes with representing the Lord and think that is a big task to live up to. God is God. I am not. He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator of all. Who am I that I could represent this king? And so the author of Hebrews, he addresses these concerns by reminding us that our confidence before God the Father does not come from us. It comes from the atoning work of Christ. So the assurance of your standing, my standing before the holy and righteous God of the universe comes entirely from the perfect obedience and sacrifice of Christ the Son. Well, how do we know that? Well, back in verse 10 of Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews, he talks about the perfection of Christ's sacrifice and how it far surpasses any sacrifice that the Jewish priests would offer on behalf of the people. So at verse 10, we read, and by that will, and this is the will as Christ will to do the will of his Father, uh, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And the author continues this thought over into verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the key phrase to point out there is perfected for all time. When we get to verse 19 later, keep that in your mind. Um, finally, then in verses 17 and 18, this is what we also read. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. See, these, ground, or these verses are the grounds of our assurance. Our confidence stems from the certainty that our sins have been forgiven in Christ. That is the grounds of all we need in life. Now, if you are not a follower of Christ, then these verses don't apply to you. Without Christ, you have no assurance. You have no confidence. And I'm pretty sure that in this world, you look around, if you think that uh, the best that you're going to get is from uh, this life, from, from the people in government, from people in here, there, and everywhere, uh, that's a bleak existence. The ground of your assurance in this life and the next comes solely through Christ. You don't want to get it from anywhere else because there's nowhere else to get it. You have no confidence before the ultimate judge of the universe if you are not united with Christ. See, it's important for us that we do not look at verse 19 like it's a completely separate thought from verses 10 through 18. 
It is because there is a forgiveness of our sins and our lawless deeds that we have the confidence to enter into the holy places. And the only way that we have that confidence is by Christ. John Owen, one of my all-time favorite preachers, he said that whatever was typically represented in the most holy place of old, we have access unto. That is, unto God himself we have an access in one spirit by Christ. This is the great fundamental privilege of the gospel, that believers in all their holy worship have liberty, boldness, and confidence to enter with it and buy it into the gracious presence of God. See, the only way that we could possibly serve the Lord and confidently know that what we're doing does not compare to just dirty rags before God Almighty is because of the blood of Jesus. So what the author of Hebrews is, is saying is, hey, the hardest part of this has already been done for you. The most difficult, impossible thing has already been done. Your sins are forgiven. You've been atoned for. Your guilt is gone. Come, embrace the holy things of God. You're his chosen people. See, we gather as the church with the confidence that our God is for us and not against us. And as we gather together and serve the Lord together and grow together, our confidence can only grow stronger. The confidence doesn't come from our own good deeds, but from the knowledge that Christ is interceding on our behalf as our great high priest. If we go back to, uh, or go over to verses 21 and 22, the author writes, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That phrase, draw near, you see that multiple times in the book of Hebrews. In uh, Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, there's no coincidence that these verses sound the same. This is, this is not just a random thought put in Scripture. We have confidence to draw the people of God. It would be a horrible reality if we were expected to serve God but had no confidence that what we were doing would be accepted by him. Like, if it was entirely up to us, that would be a miserable existence. We draw near in full assurance, and we draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And that key word there is grace. We're going to the Lord of pure grace. See, in the Old Testament, there was only one person who could enter into the Holy of Holies, and this was the high priest. And he could only do it one day a year on the Day of Atonement. Every year, this priest would go and offer a sacrifice on behalf of himself and on behalf of the people. What makes Christ's atoning sacrifice so substantially different than the offering of the high priest on the Day of Atonement was that he only had to make the sacrifice once to cover the sins of the people. But that is not all of it, because Christ did not only offer the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. If we, like Isaac, ask our father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? We can confidently say with him, the lamb has been provided on Calvary's hill. You see, our confidence to come before the throne of God comes in the complete satisfaction that Christ made for our sins. Did you realize right now, if you are in Christ, that the God of the universe is satisfied with you? You're not earning his love. You're not working for his love. He loves you because you are united to his son. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's just one of many verses where we see that we are united in Christ, united to Christ, with Christ, in Christ. And Paul says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we don't have as Christians this one-way relationship with our Lord. We don't just give him our sins. He gives us his righteousness. When you stand before the throne of God one day, you will not be judged according to your righteousness. You will be judged according to Christ's. See, if Satan was to stand before God's presence and was to 
uh, accuse you of all the wrong that you've done, all the sins that you've committed, you know how God would respond to him? He would look at him in the eyes and say, I see nothing except the atoning work and righteousness of my son. What greater satisfaction can we have in the eyes of the Lord than to be fully redeemed by him, by being covered in his son's own righteousness? See, that is why we need Christ as our high priest. Uh, John Bunyan, he said that, Enter with boldness unto the holiest and see your Jesus as he now appears in the presence of God for you. What work he makes against the devil in sin and death and hell for you. The veil is torn and you may see with open face as in a glass the glory of the Lord. What we see from this is that our confidence to not only appear before the presence of the Lord, but to also operate as the body of Christ comes from the atoning work of our great high priest. And so the author of Hebrews, he emphasizes that since we have this confidence uh, in the Lord, we cannot forget the responsibility that comes with serving him. Look again here with me at uh, verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, our assurance comes from Christ alone, but it is still our responsibility to hold fast to him in faith. It's still our responsibility to serve him, to love him, to worship him, and to love those that were made in his image. See, Paul says in Philippians 3 that we are to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and to hold fast to that which we have obtained. If you want to embrace the responsibility that you have to serve Christ, look at your own heart first before you start casting stones at others. Because if we're honest with ourselves, some of us are not qualified to judge the spiritual motives of others if we're not looking to our own spiritual needs too. Like it is kind of like if you uh, never worked on a car before, but you're giving advice on how to fix it. That would probably be me. I don't know anything about cars. Are you holding fast to your confession of faith? Are you striving to know the Lord better? And we're just, have we embraced the faith that we claim to have? Are you living it out? Are you walking in step with the Spirit of God? You see, faith is personal, but we as the church are a people, and we cannot say that we care about the responsibilities and needs of God's people if we're not striving to better ourselves on behalf of our own spiritual well-being and the benefits of others. So I don't want us to just look uh, inward today. I want us to look outward at that responsibility that we have as we gather as the body of Christ. So if we go back to verses 24 and 25, uh, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is the responsibility of us as the people of God to stir up one another in love and good works. It's our responsibility to pour out the love of Christ towards our brothers and sisters in the faith. And it's our responsibility to push them to a greater love of Christ. You see, we are a people with work to do. Like, as you can see, hey, Christ has not returned, so there's still work to be done. You are still here today. That means God is not done with you. There is something that you are meant to do for the Lord. That is why you are here. You were here to make disciples. If you are alive right now, God is not done with you. You still have a part to play in that perfect will. You've been filled by the Holy Spirit. You have a gift that God intends for you to use for the blessing of his people and the proclamation of his glory. Yes, when we gather as the body of Christ, we're gathering to be fed, but we are fed partially so we can feed others. So, like, believe it or not, you are not here just to soak this all in. You're not a sponge. You don't just soak it all in. Uh, the, the Great Commission, it doesn't say uh, to all believers that we simply feed ourselves and keep to ourselves. What does it say? It says, go. It says, go, make disciples, teach, baptize, Reach the nations as the Lord has commanded us. 
You were made to do more than just consume. You were made to make disciples. And I'm, I'll tell you the thing. I'll tell you the same thing that I uh, have told the students, and some of them might be able to verify it because some of them are here. Um, believe it or not, it is not my responsibility or my job as a pastor uh, to simply entertain you. Like, I don't make the big bucks, as I call it, just to be an entertainer. Like, I know I'm funny, but I'm like that dad joke kind of funny, which isn't that funny. <laughs> like, as soon as Benji was born, it was justified that I could be my unfunniness. So that was good for me. Not the job of any pastor to just entertain you. It's our duty to equip you, to shepherd you, to lead you in righteousness. So I've told students, and I don't think any of them have taken up the offer, uh, if you want to go somewhere else where you want to be entertained, go somewhere else. Leave that seat for somebody else here that wants to know Christ better. It is not the responsibility of the church to just put on a show for you. It's the responsibility of the church to stir one another up to love and good works. You see, we're not here to just start a movement or draw a crowd. We're here to make disciples. And that is why we cannot neglect meeting together as the body of Christ. See, no man is an island and no single person is the church. We were not made to act as the body of Christ alone. And so again, I will stress, I know this virus can be serious. I don't want to say that uh, it is not serious. I know that there are some people that are at risk. There's a desire to keep loved ones safe. But what I also want to stress is that I am tired of hearing people use the pandemic as an excuse to not act as the body of Christ. The thing is, it is time, and I told the camera in the first service, it is time for some of you to come home and it's time for some of us to go out. It is time for some of us to come in and be fed so we can go out and feed others. The author of Hebrews says that we are not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another. We as the body of Christ are not autonomous. There's a very clear reason why it's important for us to gather as his people. It's so that the Lord uses these moments for accountability, for discipleship, for fellowship and worship. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We gather as the people of God to strengthen and encourage the people of God. You see, without that accountability, Satan will run through the church and tempt it as far from the Lord as he possibly can take it. Individualistic Christianity is wrecking the church. See, I don't believe that the author of Hebrews is warning against neglecting a building, but I believe wholeheartedly that he is warning about neglecting the importance of gathering as the people of God. The problem is not so much that some people aren't coming to the building. The problem is that some people aren't coming to the Lord's people. They are neglecting just how crucial it is for us to love, to live life together. See, what we see happening right now in the Middle East, specifically in Afghanistan, are believers in Christ that are dealing with these unimaginable circumstances, but are refusing to bow to autonomous Christianity, and they are refusing to bow to the demands of evil men. See, the Christians of the Middle East are saying the same thing that Peter has already said in the book of Acts. We must obey God rather than men. For them to gather is a death sentence, and yet I am sure that there are still many that are going to rise up and have already gotten up this morning and are going to speak of their Savior. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Lord raises up thousands of Christians in Afghanistan in response to this persecution. Who's to say right now amongst the Taliban there isn't some Saul that's about to become a Paul? Hopefully there's a lot of them. I hope that we've actually prayed for that. Because it would be a tragedy if all that we're going to do as the church is pray that vengeance is brought down and that God's glory is not revealed. See, Tertullian, he was an old church father, he once said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Almost every time in human history when you see mass martyrdom for the church of Christ, on its heels is unimaginable revival. 
You see, the Taliban is not the head of the church. This virus is not the head of the church. Politics is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ alone is, and we, the people of God, serve him. We are united through him, and we cannot neglect that any longer. See, I know that there's some people that are out there that know that they could come to church but don't, and I know there are several others out there that wish that they could, but they can't. Ultimately, our response to this is that we as the church, we mobilize, right? We go out. We do not, uh, if we do not go out, some will be lost forever. How do we act then? We act with the confidence that we are the people of God, and we hold fast the confession of our hope in Christ and stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another daily. Are we trying to escape from being the church, or are we trying to engage as the church? So there's one last thing that I want us to focus on this morning, and it's that future hope that we have as the church of Christ. Uh, at the very end of Hebrews 10.25, I'll see if it's up here. Nope, that's okay. There's a quote I didn't use, but if you want it, there it is. Uh, <laughs> we read that we encourage each other all the more as we see the day drawing near. And we know that this day that is coming is the great day of the Lord. It's the future hope for all believers. This is the moment that our lives are rushing towards. This is the day that all of creation is crying out in anticipation for. See, we gather as the people of God because we know with certainty that the day of the Lord is coming soon. See, that unwavering hope for in, or in the future comes from the knowledge that the Lord is coming. What we see is in all these places around the world where the blood of believers is being spilled is heartbreaking. And I'm sure that we're all praying that the Lord is going to intervene and come back soon. I hope that we all realize, like when we read verse 25, when we see that there's a day, we all say, oh good, the day is going to come when this is over. Like This is all going to be done soon. Every ounce of blood that is spilled by brave followers of Christ, we get closer to the day when we will be with our Savior forever. And we know this from Revelation 6. as It reads, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. There's going to be a day when God is going to look and see that the number that was set in eternity has been reached. There's going to be a day when God says, now there's no more of this. Now it's, if you want to say, now it's my turn, now it's my turn to make all things new. And that day is inching closer and closer every single day um, when God will bring forth his justice on the world and we will know fully that the blood of martyrs throughout the centuries was not spilled in vain. So Ray Ortland, he shared on Twitter this. He said, with every heroic Christian Satan cuts down in martyrdom, he digs his own grave. This world will not always be the bloodbath it is now. A new day is coming that will never pass away. The noose around Satan's neck grows tighter by the day. What we're living through right now is that dark before the dawn, that already but not yet. Um, Jesus reigns despite the fact that the world seems dark. Despite the darkness and the hatred in the world, Christ has not given up his throne. The world is dark, but it's not always going to be that way or be this way. One day, Christ is going to redeem all of this. The day is coming, and it might be sooner than we think, when the future hope that we looked for will become that present reality that we've longed for. I, I, I've shared this quote from C.S. Lewis before just because the man's a genius and I, I owe a lot to him. Um, 
In his sermon, The Way to Glory, he said that the door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last, and our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no more neurotic fancy but the truest index of our real situation. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. See, right now, we are all looking ahead for this moment that the Bible says is coming, but a day is coming where we will not have to look ahead anymore because it will finally be here. We don't just have a future hope. We have a hope right now as the people of God. We know that we have peace with God because our sins have been atoned for. We're not a body that's going to cave and to crumble. We're going to continue to run towards the Savior and provide for our brothers and our sisters. Hebrews 10.39, we'll end with this. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I hear these words, and it's encouraging as this day draws near, because I hear that I'm not going to be one of those that shrink back. I'm not going to be one of those that is destroyed. I'm, a, I'm of the people of faith and the Son of God. Well, what this means is the church is that the world can persecute us. They can uh, kill us. They can silence us as much as they want, but we are the people of God. We're not going to be swayed by the world, but we're going to stand out in the world as the people that are precious in the eyes of the Lord. If you are a member of Christ, you are precious in God's eyes. You are precious. You are like, pretty, it's pretty good, right? Yeah, like, be excited about this. We are confident that the Lord has secured a place for us with him, that he's intervening on our behalf even now. Everything that happens to us between now and our going home to the Lord is nothing but grace. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're confident that our sins have been paid for, and we're going to take that responsibility of being the church and gathering together seriously. The day of the Lord is coming, and that is something that we can look forward to, but we know that until that day comes, there is still work to be done. So I'm going to uh, pray as we look ahead to the work that there is to do as the body of Christ, and we're going to go from there and worship together uh, the Savior who is coming soon. So let's pray together. God, we know that this world is dark, and it can seem like... uh, Maybe you're not on the throne, but the reality is you have not abandoned your, your kingship. You have not abandoned your sovereignty. We know that you are above all things and over all things, and you are good. You are the king of the universe. I pray that we embrace the work that you have given us as your people. I pray that we go out and reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we have the strength and courage to gather as your people. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.